Hello and welcome to Escape of Vanilla. I'm really excited to be here today with Leah and we are going to be talking to her about kind of untraditional finance and our backgrounds and um, how different communities have different feelings towards money and our relationships with them. So Leah, tell me about yourself. Yes, my name is Leah. Thank you. I'm a first-gen queer Latina. I am a professor, podcast host, wealth coach, and, you know, just professional, you know, in this industry. I have a lot of titles and I'm missing so many, but it's okay. Um, But yeah, this is what I do. This is something that I'm very passionate about. I was talking about money in a unconventional way. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's great to have you here. Yeah. Leah does a lot, so I'm very excited to talk to her about different things, but um, one thing that I wanted to talk to her about today is just kind of how um, your relationship with money is shaped by how you grew up and the conversations about money that you had, and so um, one thing that I've realized even in like just being married is that the things that I just naturally assume everyone thinks about money isn't necessarily true depending on household, Um, so I grew up in a household that was very anti-debt we talked about money a lot but it was almost like it was almost like having money was something that was negative like the idea of being poor and like dependent like there was a big conversation around like if you're saving for your future then you're not depending on god so it was almost like this like religious thing of like i don't have to save money because i'm just depending on the lord like i don't know where the money's going to come from but he's going to provide it um and along with that came all of like dave ramsey's like anti debt and like bootstraps and like if you do everything perfectly then like you can just save up cash for everything um and it was a really interesting environment to grow up in um and I've had to change a lot of my thoughts around money so I wanted to talk to Leah about um you know her upbringing as well because um you know everyone's different yeah no for sure I mean your upbringing is very different from mine but also very similar in a sense that you know I am a child of immigrants and my parents were not given a map to navigate the system, to navigate what the heck goes on in America. And so what they learned were from people who were allies, I guess you could say, so white allies um, that tried helping my parents, whether it was good or bad advice, you know, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But, you know, my parents um, were entrepreneurs, so that's the only way they could make money. No one was going to hire immigrants in the town that I lived in. I live in Utah, which is very white dominated. And the town that I live in, my parents, literally, my dad was like one of the first Latinos living in Utah, in this town specifically. So literally, like it goes back way back. So, um, you know, my dad, when the conversations around money really just revolved about not getting into debt as well, because we didn't know what that meant. And it really impacted us in the 2008 recession where all of a sudden we couldn't pay our bills because of, you know, the real estate market crashing and my dad's business literally ties to real estate. He's a landscaper. So when there was no business, there was no money. Did my parents know about emergency like savings? Did they know about, you know, all of these things? No. So when bills came to come, you know, like when we had to pay them, there was no money. So 
ended up long story short we ended up filing bankruptcy foreclosing on our house um ended up with nothing we we're homeless for a second and all i could remember my dad saying is that is malo which is that is bad and that's a money script that i grew up with but also yeah. around this time my dad turned to god to <laughs> comfort his stress and comfort yeah. his emotion and you know similar to what you were saying like you know trust in god and god will provide and that's kind of the perspective that my dad shifted into. And I guess, you know, I respect it because in a, in a way it gave him hope um, and my parents hope for a future, a financial future that, you know, was abundant, mm -hmm. but they did rely on religion. They did rely on that, not, you know, studying or anything like that. They were, they relied on religion and the hustle of, all right, well, we're going to start this back up again. We're hoping to find more clients, find more business. We're going to try to do this again, maybe work for a different company for some time, which we did. We worked for my, my dad's and my mom worked for my uncle for a second. Yeah. And then, you know, like, it's so crazy how we can have different backgrounds, but it's, it's really, you know, the way how our parents traditions as well come into these conversations and so like for me it was completely like debt is bad don't don't you don't want it you don't have you don't need to get it don't even start it don't even think about it don't get credit cards and then here I am when I'm like 19 years old trying to get a credit card and like fearing it for my life yeah <laughs> yeah it sounds like, you know, in the 2008, which I think a lot of people, um, my dad lost his job during that time too. So I totally feel that I experienced a lot of scarcity and it sounds like you did as well. Mm -hmm. Is that something that for you translated to a money mindset of scarcity that there wasn't going to be enough? Or did you, did you separate it from like, there can be enough if we hustle? Yeah. So I think from if I think about it from my parents' perspective, different from mine, you know, my parents were like, if we hustle, there will be enough, We, you know, and God will provide as long as we put in the work. Yeah. Now for me, you know, my perspective has, is almost similar, but different in a sense that I don't rely on religion, yeah. um, on my beliefs. It's more that I trust that if I put in the effort and I am consistent, wealth will become it yeah. just will happen because yeah. I'm doing everything possible for myself to become wealthy and wealthy is not a luxury. I'm not saying wealthy is like, I am going to get this new Lamborghini or this yeah. Louis Vuitton bag. I'm not talking about luxury. That's a luxury. I'm talking about this feeling of wealth that is freedom, time, peace. And that to me is what's more, what I've learned through time. I had to learn and deconstruct a lot of traditions and taboos and generational curses to get, come to this. But, you know, that is what I perceive as wealthy, but what my parents perceive as wealthy is essentially just being able to live and provide for the family. That is their version of wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that because I, in the environment I grew up in, it was very much like there was a morality around money. Like it was like money is that feeling of comfort of, I have enough. Um, was kind of looked down upon. It was like, you're putting your own safety above following God. You're, you're relying on yourself and not on something external. And so I, I had to like, I don't know, as I became an adult kind of think through like, okay, I don't know that. I don't know that money actually has morality. Like, I think it's just kind of disconnected. Like I think that it provides something to you, but then kind of like 
coming into the the concepts of like they talk about like after a certain point of money it doesn't really make a difference anymore like they say like 70,000 which really depends on where you live obviously 70,000 your environment and your family like there's so many factors yeah like that's a lie yeah exactly but um yeah, it's interesting how people have a different feeling of like what enough is and what that sense of comfort is. Um, Cause for me, I found that comfort in like, like just knowing I have the opportunities, like knowing that I can work at a variety of jobs and that's come from like education and um, creating habits, but not necessarily like having cash on hand, which I think is each person approaches that differently, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, no, enough is a subjective term. Okay. At the end of the day, what I define as enough is different from what you define as enough. What my parents define as enough is different from the neighbor next door. And many people don't realize that. And they think, oh, enough is, you know, this value, this 70 K. And it's like, no, are you freaking kidding me? 70 K can change someone's entire life. Who's been in scarcity their whole entire, you know, childhood adulthood, whatever it might be, you know, because I'm in a, you know, it's funny how we talk about this because I'm in a trauma of money course, um, ran by Chantel Chapman. She's a financial Mm. activist. Um, she's been in the financial realm for a while and she brings a lot of, um, different, um, people, psychiatrists, therapists, um, activists and financial professionals into this course. And so Mm -hmm. we were talking about scarcity and we're talking about enough and, um, you know, everyone came up with a different answer because they're like, you know, I remember my life in, you know, Haiti or my life in Africa. They like, we have different diverse backgrounds and like, you know, we were, we were playing around with um, toys that were made of rubber bands. Like that's what my dad even used to tell me. He's like, you know, I, as a kid, I used to play with, you know, the tires of cars and he would be, he would roll down the street inside of them. And that was his toy or marbles or, you know, rubber bands. And they come like, put them all together and make a ball. And that was enough for them. And then growing up for me, my dad reminded me every single day of that scarcity. He would remind me, Hey, Leah, you better eat that because all the kids in El Salvador, you know, are suffering. You better be grateful. And so it comes to with the level of humbleness, I think, because enough is obviously very different. Do I feel like I have enough right now? Probably not because I want more. I think I deserve more, but am I grateful? Yes. Um, do I wish I had less? No. Right. You know, it's, it's very subjective to each person and it gets complicated because when I read articles that say, you know, $70,000 should be enough and makes you feel some certain way of safety. And it's like, no, that's, that's, it's, you can't put a number to these things. You can't, because I read another article, people who make six figures still feel like they're in debt and they're living paycheck to paycheck because they don't know how to spend their money because then yeah. they become ungrateful and they just like, you know, <laughs> what's it called? Lifestyle, like lifestyle creep comes through and then they're like yeah. spending like no other. And then like, Oh, where's my money? I'm broke. I'm poor. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and a lot of what isn't talked about, but the conversations that we have with clients is like, there's, there's a lot of different aspects to coming into money, especially if it's something that you're the first person in your money to kind of like step out of a step out of a community or a certain social level of life, right? Like I'm the first woman in my family to go to college. So me earning a 
earning a salary and being able to provide for myself is kind of a very new concept. It's not something that's understood in the social construct of my family. And I think that um, a lot of women, particularly when they when they come from something, they feel very maternal towards providing for their family that's still there. So it's like, okay, I'm making a lot of money, uh, but I have a lot of expenses. And a lot of that is tied to you know, I remember being there. I remember being a kid and, and just being grateful, you know, to have food and to have the toys that we did. And so I want to bring everyone with me. Uh, but then, you know, we see a lot of people who, who don't know how to balance that family pressure and like trying to provide for other people because we're doing well with our own needs. And then it's like, well, you know, is saving for retirement important if, um, you know, my niece isn't going to college Is saving for retirement important if, you know, my, my parents aren't taken care of in their old age. Um, how has that, how has that been for you and in, in trying to, you know, think about that with your family members? Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think especially for children of immigrants, children of different backgrounds, we go through this trauma when we leave our families. I left my family at the age of 19, which is untraditional in their eyes because in the Hispanic culture, you're not supposed to leave your parents until you're married. And so, or like partnered. And I'm just like, I'm 19. I needed to get out of this household because of many external factors of just, you know, my identity. I'm a, I'm a lesbian Latina, which is also untraditional, which Mm -hmm. I hate saying that I hate saying traditional or untraditional, but you know, I wasn't complying to their standards of my, my way. So I was like, I need to get out. And, oh, of course I mourned, I mourned, I cried. And I was just like, you know, I have to fight for myself and fend for myself first in order to give back. And I would think about, you know, my parents and how I'm not there to support them anymore from reading legal documents to, you know, helping them run the business. I would cry all the time and feel guilty that I was trying to push myself forward while leaving them behind. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, many people have to go through in their lives when they choose themselves first and their success and their, their, you know, future. And, um, you know, it's, it's a cycle. I think it's never going to be perfect because there's going to be people, you know, I say for myself, but also I think about my parents' retirement, who's going to fund their retirement, if not themselves, you know, I think about that. I have conversations with my parents every single day and I'm like, what does your retirement look like? I need to know now so I can figure this out for myself sooner rather than later and not freak out when you're like 65 and you're like, Lee, I need money. And I'm like, I didn't plan for you to have money, but you know what I mean? Or yeah, I didn't plan for you not to have a retirement or I planned for you to have a retirement, whatever it might be. And my brothers too. Like I think about my siblings and I'm just like, I want them to go to college, but if I'm honest, all my siblings don't want to go to college and I don't know how to, if I'm very honest, I'm going through this deconstruction of my brain of that People don't have to go to college to be successful. They have to have a drive and a passion and a purpose to be successful. Mm -hmm. Because I think about my dad. My dad only went to third grade. My mom only went to eighth grade. They're very successful people. Yeah. And so now I like, you know, we're talking about traditions and deconstructing systems and families. And even myself, I'm learning to deconstruct this idea that my siblings aren't going to go to college because they choose not to me and my older brother are the first to go to college and get a master's degree both of us and and that's it I don't know if my younger siblings will and I don't know if they desire to but should I be the one to push them to I don't know because that's not my choice yeah and so um sorry if you hear a little bit of construction because no it's okay you're doing doing something on the side but 
I'm just, you know, as we're talking about this, I feel bad sometimes because I feel like I'm leaving my siblings behind and my siblings aren't doing, you know, I should be funding their retirement or I should be helping them push themselves for their different career. But at the, at the end of the day, we have to fight for ourselves first. Once we got our own bag and our own future figured out, and I know this is not a one-time process, this is a continuous process, but like, then we can figure out how we can help others as long as we've known we've helped ourselves first. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and I think that's where it's helpful to have, you know, an advisor or a coach or some third party that for one is confidential because it's really hard to talk to these things about these things with your friends. Like a lot of people don't want to say how much money they have. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to show the vulnerabilities of their family members or, you know, their friends that are asking for money. Um, and when you talk to people, like their opinions are always biased, even if you talk to a professional. And so it's like, how do I find someone who is going to understand my situation? um and 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 hear me and respect respect the traditions that I have and respect the the structure that I have in my environment but also be able to step in and say like you know the whole oxygen bag thing like you need to take care of yourself first so that you can help other people that means you know putting up healthy boundaries that means thinking through trauma responses to money um you know that means hard conversations with family members that is maybe something like you might not have those type of conversations with your family so then it comes to like you know if you know your fam- your parents haven't saved for retirement, the idea of talking to them about that, if they haven't talked to you about money before, is absolutely frightening, if not like impossible for a lot of people. And so to have someone to talk through that with um, and understand that it's not going to be a one and done conversation. It's not going to be like, great, I had this conversation with my parents. We have a plan moving forward. Nothing is ever going to change. Um, and so we're good, you know, because like financial plans are, are fluid. Life changes. Yes. And that's the thing, you know, I talk about preparing rather than planning because the plan is always going to change, but we can prepare for moments of, you know, where we need to support our family or friends as well, because I think, you know, especially in the BIPOC culture, we love helping people. We love helping our kind and our family and it can happen in different societies, different cultures as well. But like, you know, it's all about one being able to prioritize yourself and your own financial well-being, because why would you want to go into debt by helping someone else? Mm-hmm. And then you're not, you know, it's almost doing a disservice to yourself. And as much as we can be compassionate to other people and their struggles, we can help them through other methods that don't require a financial sacrifice. Yeah. Because I know, sorry, <laughs> I know um, there has been moments in my life where I feel like I needed to come back and help my parents as I was pursuing a corporate career and I felt the need to support them and help them, but I couldn't, I financially couldn't my, you know, I would, my mom would call me and say, Hey, someone stole X, Y, and Z from our house. Um, and, or not from our house, from our, our, um, employees garage where we hold our storage and stuff like yeah. that. We got stolen. It happened three times in one year okay. and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't help. Yeah. Them. The police didn't want to listen to them. I don't know if it was because they don't speak English very well, or I don't know what was happening, but 
I couldn't help them. That was not my position to do so. And so here I am as a adult trying to figure out my own identity and trying to figure out my future. And then I'm thinking about my parents in the back of my mind, like, damn, I'm sacrificing. Like I'm pushing myself forward and they're still struggling. How can I find balance? It's all about balance of, you know, because we want to take care of ourselves. We want to take care of other people, but how do we do it? And that's why you have professionals and coaches and people in your circle to help guide you and find that accountability where you really need it where you don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and to keep that, to keep that tension open too, because I think that like, um, I forget who the author was, but I just read this book, think again. Um, and he's basically talking about like, we need to be constantly evaluating and constantly growing. If we ever get to a point where we're like, okay, we figured it out. We're good to go. Then that's where we stop succeeding. And I think that a lot of times when people have, a background that that there's there's a lot of needs and a lot of empathy or that has been really broken and I know I came from something like that where I'm just like it needs to be fixed I don't have the resources a lot of times the the easy way to compartmentalize it is just be like never going back there I'm not touching that again I have to shut off all empathy towards it because otherwise I live in this space of like man all of these family members don't have health care all of these family members don't have savings how can I help them and you can't live in that all of the time and so I think the tendency is just to be like you know what I don't care I'm moving on and focusing on me but being able to maintain that tension of like I still want to be empathetic. I still want to care. I still want to be connected to my roots and my community. And I need someone to be able to continually talk to me about that and speak to, you know, do I have another opportunity now because, because um, I'm having more success and I'm having more stability to help. And where do I need to draw that line of boundary of like, Hey, I'm not taking care of myself anymore. And I need to, I need to protect my own mental health and my own financial stability. A Scoop of Vanilla is brought to you by Stripper Financial Planning. Stripper Financial Planning is a fee-only, independent RIA that caters to the unique financial needs of adult entertainers. Our clientele tend to be self-employed and work online as content creators or in-person as actresses, dancers, and escorts. Stripper Financial Planning offers advice-only, comprehensive financial planning, meaning that we'll periodically go through each aspect of your finances, including investments, but we only make recommendations rather than managing our clients' investments for them. We meet with clients on a monthly basis and charge a flat rate of $350 a month with no account minimums. To learn more about Stripper Financial Planning, you can visit our website at www.stripperfinancialplanning.com. Yeah, I think boundaries are key to this, especially in finance with family, friends. Um, and it's hurt, it hurts sometimes to set these boundaries, but it's sometimes like for the best reasons or for the best situations in your life, because I'm a, we can't be saviors. Like I'm a cancer in nature. So I have a caregiving tendency Yeah, and I want to help so many people, but then I have to check myself and be like, Leah, do what you can do in your control. What can you control now that can help yourself first? And then, then second, and then second, because and it's a balance and there's boundaries we need to set in order for us to feel comfortable. And it sucks sometimes that I sometimes feel that I'm leaving a whole, my family behind because I'm pushing for things in my own life that they never aspired to, but I respect them. I respect their vision and what they want for themselves, even if it's different from mine, even though they want to have debt. And I'm like, Hey, you know, 
you should probably be paying off your debt first prior to buying this new car that they just bought. They're not going to listen to me. Yeah. I'm telling them the reality, but they're like, you know what, why am I living in this life if I can't have what I want? I'm like, okay, granted, I can hear, I hear you and see you, but there's, yeah, like I said, I can't, again, I can only give them my opinion, respect them and set that boundary for myself. Right. And, you know, it's going to be a continuous process. This is going to be in my life for the, you know, as long as I know. And, and, you know, it's deconstructing the way that, you know, parents have tended like, or deconstructing the way that we've been raised to, you know, always support each other, help each other. And yes, it's valid. We need to, but also being selfish. There's going to be a point in your life where you need to be selfish because who's going to fight for you other than you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also just taking the time to, to focus on yourself and self-improve, but also to be transparent with yourself and say, okay, I have these skills. I have these abilities. I have, you know, this, um, for me, like I kind of have like a meter of mental stability of like, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And then once I push it, um, you know, I'm not taking care of myself anymore. And I, um, kind of call myself like a a soul suckingly empathetic because I just like, especially in the last few years, I'm like, there's so much hurt and it's like, I can't solve it all. It's not my job to, and it's like conceded for me to think that I even could. Right. And so it's, it's kind of setting aside that and being like, okay, I have these skills where can I use them? Where can I meet my community? Who can I talk to that, that can listen to me with respect and that can really, you know, mean something to. And it's been interesting because I found, you know, in the past and working with more traditional clients, I found that um, I can get through to other people's parents and grandparents a lot more than their grandchildren and kids can, because there's that boundary. And it's the same thing mm-hmm. with friends. Um, or partners, it's um, because you have that boundary of the professional relationship, like we can really make a difference with our clients. And I think that's something that that then you can find a purpose in and that you are making a difference. And sometimes you have to set aside like, you know, I might not be the one to say that to my parents, but someone else is going to. And I'm going to encourage that by having conversations like this and creating creating a community of people who are pushing forward the things we care about. Right. A hundred percent. The unbiased opinion, the unbiased individual is super important, even in my own life, whether through therapy, through other things, you know, I need someone who's going to give me both sides of the story that is, you know, real and raw, right? I need Mm -hmm. the facts sometimes. And especially when it comes to money, you know, as financial professionals, we see the balances. We see what's going on in your finances. We know what you can take on and what you can't financially. But again, I know emotional tolls at, you know, I had a client who was like, Hey, Leah, I owe my parents $6,000 and I do have this in savings, but the emotional burden of this debt is way more than an interest rate on a credit card right now. Like yeah. I feel so guilty. And also this family pressure, how do you feel? Like, I really want to pay this off. How, like, should I, and I'm like, if that's how it feels towards you, do it. I Absolutely. mean, I know we have these boundaries and I know interest rate is important, but there's also that emotional interest rate on things too, that people don't really like to discuss, you know, like I owe my family it, you know, like they could talk crap about you, whatever, like, oh my God, this person owes me money. You know, this happens in Latinx culture all the time where you, we love freaking gossiping. And so I was just like, you know what, if you don't want that happening, that's okay. I respect it. 
and I'm going to let you do what you see fit, whatever for your boundaries, so that you feel protected um, within your own mental health, anxiety, you know. And I think those are big factors within this practice that some people don't like to address as well. They're like, oh yeah, well, just you know, the numbers say this, but emotionally they say this too. Yeah, and well, there's emotion to this. Yeah, well, and that's that's where there's a lot of value of having an advisor that isn't necessarily like a clone of you, but understands your background, understands where you come from, um, is taking the time to really understand where you are. Because a lot of times if you go into, you know, like an Edward Jones, they have a script that they're following. They have recommendations they want to make, and it doesn't, your situation doesn't really speak to that. And a lot of times, you know, I have similar to you, uh, you, you know, you have clients who like, for instance, have plus loans that their parents are associated with. And sometimes they'll just be like, you know what? It, it makes sense to just like refinance it and put it in your name and take your parents out of the scenario so that yeah, you yeah. don't have to constantly every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, you know, have those conversations yeah. and have that tension there. And so that they can start to view you as an adult. That's that's taking, um, right. you know, responsibility <laughs> for your debt. And oftentimes it doesn't necessarily make sense. Cause you're like, well, I'm not really responsible for that loan. My parents are so cool, but, um, you know, part of growing is having those conversations and for an advisor who isn't going to listen to your concerns there, they probably wouldn't, you know, make that recommendation. Yeah, I think it's important to find support in someone who sees you and, and can envision themselves in you or vice versa, you can envision the, yourselves in them. Um, and that's why people have niches. That's why there's financial advisors and planners who have different focuses because they are experts in certain things. Like my focus is queer trans BIPOC. So, you know, mm-hmm. black indigenous people of color, I focus on, you yeah. know, a very marginalized community. And that's, and I, and I do this because that's where the focus is. And that's who I am as well. I am a queer Latina. So sorry. You're fine. Um, so it's really important for me to address these concerns and help people of my circle. Yeah. Yeah. I was just working with, it's funny that you said that because I was just working with a client um, on my last call. Um, and she specifically was switching advisors because she was working with, um, she was a woman similar to our age. Um, and she was working with an advisor who was just like coming at her with a really aggressive and condescending air of just like, oh, well, you're clearly spending too much. You clearly are living outside of your means. You have too much debt. And, and he wasn't taking the time to, to, he didn't even care about putting himself in her shoes of like, why is she in debt? What happened there? It's not just, oh, I want to like buy whatever I want. It's I lost my job. It's you know, I needed to pay for my mom's surgery. And that's, there's a level of empathy that, um, you know, a lot of advisors used to not care about, but now people are coming in and being like, Hey, we deserve better. Like we deserve to work with an advisor who understands our life experiences and wants to meet us there. Um, and it's so valuable to have advisors like you who are, who are being authentically themselves and meeting clients as humans who are there with them, because so many times you go into a professional's office and you're, and you're trying to present yourself in the box of like what you know they're comfortable with. Um, and I think we're finally, mm-hmm. I'm really excited because we're finally getting to the point where it's like, if a car salesman is being shitty to you, I'm just going to be like, you know what? I don't have to do this. I'm going to go find someone who's not going to be shitty right. to me. Right. Um, 
which I think is like a great place to be in. And so when I start to work with clients now, I'm like, you know what, if you aren't the same thing with me, like I'm not treating you the way you want to be treated. You have free will go find someone who is meeting you where you're at, who's treating you with compassion and with kindness and with respect. Um, and I, I just am really excited about the idea of advisors going this direction too. Um, yeah, I'm excited with the shift and I'm excited for more people of color and queer folk um, to come out and represent the communities that need to be served, as well as even what people would say, you know, untraditional roles. I know you're serving a specific niche that I am here to support. And especially when you come, I looked, when you look at the queer community, a lot of our jobs and roles, you know, especially trans drag queens, right? They make cash money. You have yeah. sex workers, cash money, dancers, cash money. And it's like, they can't find support anywhere. They can't even find housing sometimes. And there's all these struggles. And like, I just want someone who can see me and who can help me right? Yeah. With my finances. So I can get the support that I need to build wealth through my own profession. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in like an old school industry of like, it used to be that I would find someone that I would be like, oh, thank God you'll work with gay people. Like how nice of you to work with gay people and like treat them with respect. And it's like, okay, thank you for the bare minimum, but we don't want someone who just like, doesn't have a problem with what you're doing. Like, I don't want to work with an advisor who like, doesn't have a problem with me being like, a young successful woman like I want an advisor who like can speak to that and ask the right questions and like leans in as a, a like enthusiastic supporter of me and so um yeah for for the community that I'm serving for sex workers and for strippers and adult entertainers I one thing that I'm really focusing on is finding people who aren't just like okay with that life choice but who are enthusiastic about it who who love um love working with those clients and and that's cpas and attorneys and and um you who know, respect their industries that's a yeah. thing like it's just a matter of respect and appreciation because for so long everyone you go to college assuming that you want to go into a corporate job and you want to live this corporate life mm -hmm. but no one really talks about what happens if you don't want corporate? What if you yeah. want something else? And, and that's the thing you should be able to respect the, and, and have, you know, compassion to individuals who enter these roles and in industries, because one, sometimes they don't have another choice. Sometimes they choose to, sometimes, you know, they enjoy it, you know, whatever it may be, but it's a level of respect and appreciation for the work as if they were a different professional. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're not going to get stock compensation. They're not going to get they're not going to get other things and benefits like a corporate job. Yeah. Well, and it's the same thing with working with, I mean, it's funny because people act like, oh, if you get tips, then like your, your job doesn't count. And it's like, there are a lot of, there are a lot of jobs like that across a lot of different industries. A lot of entrepreneurs don't have typical benefits or self-employed. And there's like a lot of business owners that are getting qualified quality advice but then it's like because you're in a stigmatized group they're like well you don't deserve it and that's just that's just silly um and people are like well you know I don't identify as a drag queen so I could never work with drag queens because I don't want anyone to think I'm a drag queen and it's like okay you know you don't have to just you can work with clients without being like I'm going to pursue this on my own um but being able to you know value them and understand their position and take time to research it is 
is super important. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in that position today and I'm very grateful that I haven't, but like, you know, I have to have a level of respect for my queer community and others. Even when I think about, you know, Latinx communities, you know, we have a lot of farm workers, you know, we have a lot of, you know, people who have to get cash jobs because they're undocumented and how can they build wealth while undocumented Mm -hmm. as well. And that's super important to me. And it's being able to address these and amplify their voice. That's the thing if I have the privilege to be here and talk about these things I need to amplify the voices of people who can't who can't feel heard or feel seen in this industry because they fear judgment you know I myself being out and proud I sometimes I like question my identity I'm like oh my god I am this person that is doing this I can't believe it because six years ago I was hiding and my employer's you know, were judging me because I had tattoos and I didn't even tell them I was a lesbian because I didn't, I didn't know if I could, you know, and I think back even six years ago, that being there and not being here and still fearing my identity. Like sometimes I fear in places that I go because I'm like, I don't want to, you know, people don't realize, like I have to Google places that I want to travel to make sure they're queer friendly. I have to make sure that if I hold someone's hand, I'm not going to get arrested and go to jail. Right. These are things that I have to be concerned about and similar to other communities communities, you know, drag queens and their safety and their financial well-being. You know, I have a friend who he's a house flipper in Dallas and he has homes in Ohio. And he was telling me, he's like, I give a lot of my housing to queer folk because no one else is willing to give them housing because they don't have credit nor they don't have consistent income according to the IRS. So I offer them jobs and oppor- like jobs and opportunities and housing in order for them to get you know, the requirements to find housing, or if not, I'll just give them a rental property and have them rent for me. And I'm just like, this is the type of allyship and support we need to, you know, and that's the thing. You don't have to be a part of this community to be an ally. You don't have to be a part of this community to amplify their voice. That's all you have to do is amplify it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love you're saying that too, because I often, you know, in the past years, I grew up in a very racist household. I grew up in a very homophobic and just like super religious and crazy household. And, um, there's a a lot of structures and systems and concepts in my mind that I've had to work through that I'm still working through. There's a lot of work. And, and once you start to like learn about the things that other people have always known and experienced, it becomes overwhelming of like, well, I don't, this is so big. I don't like, I'm not going to be able to solve racism. What's, what's the point of doing anything? Um, and so I think having these conversations and listening to other people of saying like, okay, you know, this is, I just, I start small and I do what I can. And then when I mess it up, I try again and I, I do better next time. And, you know, I love that you're, I love you're giving examples of how, how to be an ally. Cause that's so important. And, um, I think, you know, having people on your podcast, being able to talk to them about their experiences, being able to share your voice with my audience and being able to, um, you know, connect these different communities of empathetic people who care about each other to say like, this is a safe person for you to talk to. This is a good professional who's going to treat you fairly. Um, and, you know, it's funny because a lot of times advisors will be like, well, I don't know why you're talking to other financial professionals because like, aren't you afraid that your audience is going to work with someone else? I'm like, honestly, I, if they work with someone else, that's great. That is a win. That is a win for our side. Like I just want them to work for someone who is going to care about them. And there is, there are so many people who deserve quality financial advice. And there are so many people who deserve, you know, just like the basic level of kindness and and compassion and respect. And so, um, you know, for me, it's just, 
being able to connect everyone together is really important. Yeah, I think allyship and connection is super important in our industry and being able to hold space together to amplify the voices of our own separate communities. We all have different niches. We all have different focuses. We all have different passions and views that we, you know, should come together and speak about them respectfully. That's the thing. Like when I say allyship, I want, you know, you know, as a person of color, a queer individual, I would want my white counterparts to be like, you know, look at this person who's driving change. If you, you know, need someone like that, here is this person, right? Or look at what they're posting, look at what they're sharing and, and reshare that, right? Voice, like amplify their voice and make sure they feel seen too, because, you know, there is white privilege, there's white supremacy in this world. And so in order to battle that and change that is by having those who do have what like um, power, either financial power, you know, color power, whatever it might be to amplify the voices of those who don't. And yeah. that's all it takes, right? It's not you taking the initiative of you have, like, we don't need you to create an organization to do this. No, we yeah. just need you to share and be an ally and support them and voice their name in conversations that probably no one would have thought of them, right? Yeah. That's all we want is sponsorship from people to say, hey, I respect you and I see you. And I, I love you who you're serving. Like when I saw your niche, I was just like, yes, we've needed this for so long, but no yeah. one wants to be an advocate for sex workers and for people who don't have these traditional corporate jobs. And it's, and it's infuriating because I'm tired of these, these, traditions i'm tired of these ways these old school i don't I, i'm so sick of it because i'm like we yeah. are in freaking 2021 and we have people from different backgrounds we had literally 2020 was filled with only fans and people made bank off only fans yeah and how are they getting served who is supporting their profession i don't know i really couldn't tell you so it's yeah. like these professions are coming up more and more often whether it's corporate, non-corporate, I don't, it doesn't matter, entrepreneurship, right? These people are entrepreneurs. And so we have to be able to respect them and help them build wealth in the way that they can and dream of, because what they vision as wealth is not what we see as wealth. And that's where I struggle with financial planners and financial advisors who see this, you know, assets under minimum or assets under management and asset yeah. minimums. They have to have a certain amount of money to work with people. And I'm just like, you're literally secluding a whole entire group yeah. Because you're setting these restrictions and I can get into tangents about all, the way the financial services industry is put in place. And it's infuriating because you're really, you know, financial services has discriminated against, you know, low income, poor individuals, people of color, queer folk, those who are in different jobs that don't comply to their standards and it's like this is done like we're not here anymore we're not here to hear that we're here to support the next generation because the next generation let me tell you they're going to be wealthy and they're going to be making wealth through different forms of income that aren't your corporate standard of income yeah yeah absolutely oh I loved all of that <laughs> that was just beautiful and I totally agree with you. And I just think like, and it's kind of hard with, you know, we're changing, you know, both of us with our companies, like this is uncharted yeah. territory. Like we're yeah. doing things, but there, there isn't a business model that's proven here. We're just trying it out. And I think that's why, you know, we really have to be like flexible. We're, we're learning as we go. And also you have to have the humility you were talking about earlier of like, I'm going to approach this and then I might do it wrong. And so then I'm going to say, I'm sorry, I'm doing my best. I'm going to try for it again. And I know that I'm 
I know I'm going to fuck this up. I know I'm going to say something that like is wrong towards my audience. And then I'm going to be like, I didn't mean to say that. And I'm really sorry. And then I'm going to continue to do my best because I know it's important work. And I know that these people deserve to be served. Um, and the, and the same thing with your audience. Yeah. There's no blueprint to this. There is literally no blueprint. It's just figuring out trial and error, understanding that things are going to work and not work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just a trial and error process. Yeah. Yeah. I love that your dog is like trying to shake hands with you right now. I'm so sorry. There's like construction going on. I, I didn't think I thought this is our lunch break and they finish early. And I was just like, ah, so mad. This is just the realities of working from home. Right. Um, okay. So just to wrap up, um, a few more questions for you. Um, very important. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> I would say, uh, it depends. I like like the caramel vanilla ice cream. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If I'm feeling that, if I'm feeling fruity, I would go with like passion fruit. I, it depends on the day. I have like okay. savory, like the chocolatey and the yeah. The fruit. And then like the fruit. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, and then um, I follow along with your Instagram, and I just love your content. You're always posting a lot of videos, and you have a podcast as well. Where else can people find you? Yeah, so I'm mostly on Instagram or Twitter at Lialanda Verde, which is my name. And then I have my podcast, Mi Riqueza Podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm hanging out these days. I'm redeveloping my website. So that's in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's where you'll find me posting just really money and mind realness because I, you know, there's no reason to sugarcoat the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has been so good to talk to you. I'm really glad we were able to talk and I know I'm going to have you back on the show again because I just love hearing your opinions on things and hearing your perspective. Thank you. No, I'm super excited for your new endeavor and I'm super excited to support you. And literally, I... I, if there's anything that I can do, like I, I want to be of service and I, you know, amplify the voices of women who are changing things up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.